Hello, welcome to Dance Futures, the podcast that discusses dance as a way of life with people who've made it central to theirs. This, my friends, is the Christmas special. And it didn't go as planned, like so many things in 2020. Um, I experienced a technical hitch after gathering my three guests around a table. Again, a very rare thing in times of coronavirus. And my browser stopped recording after five minutes. So what you have in this episode is a kind of collage, uh, which begins with that conversation as a kind of provocation to start us off. And Kuldip Singh Barmi, my colleague who features, rest assured, we will get him back in the next series in the new year at some point. Um, In the meantime, I hope you enjoy and hang on till the end to hear a beautiful Christmas song by our very own Finger on the Pulse, Robin Alvarez. joining me sitting around the table today I have Kuldip Singh Barmi who is a senior lecturer in dance at Falmouth University with me and also has had an amazingly long and prolific uh, performance career. I also have Sophie Parsons, recent graduate of uh, dance and choreography at Falmouth University, also creative producer for this podcast and also does lots of amazing things. If you check out her Instagram, Sophie J. Parsons. Um, I also have, cringing on the other side of the table, (laughs) Robin Alvarez, also a recent dance and choreography graduate, our resident finger on the pulse, and uh, making some great music at the moment over on Robin Al Music. And this, guys, is the Christmas special of the Dance Futures podcast. And it's special because we are in a lovely uh, pub called Beerwolf in Falmouth Town because we're lucky enough to be in the tier one. And um, uh, shout out to everyone who's not because it must be tough. That sounds awful. I do mean it. Though. Um, no, seriously, we're really lucky to be down here in Cornwall. And uh, this is just a little um, get together in a way to talk about the relationship between students and teachers in dance. That's my general proposition for us to talk about. And that's partly because um, we have got here two people who used to be taught by us. Because <laughs> Caldiff and I have obviously taught Sophie and Robin and that relationship then shifts slightly as they graduate. And I was sort of intrigued and interested to kind of talk about that and also bring in maybe some wider pedagogic frameworks. Um, so with that in mind, um, anyone want to kick us off? What can you remember? You probably can't remember you guys, but like, what did rocking up as a, like a first year? Well, what were your impressions? What were your hopes, expectations, and how it differed? Or I think it's really funny, like you talking about the relationship drifting. Because when I got to uni, Caldip, you were the scariest person <laughs> I have ever met. Like I was absolutely terrified, and my whole like I feel like I just spent months being like, how can I? Um, show the lecturers that I'm like really hardworking and I'm gonna do really well and like like want you to respect me and we have this like really professional relationship or whatever. And then like the moment I just chilled out, you then became the reason I think I actually you know stayed and did the whole three years because as soon as I relaxed and I guess got to know like everyone a bit better and settled in, then I was like, oh okay, <laughs> I just need to like do my thing and then they you know 
uh, they'll understand me and then you can actually help me achieve what I need to achieve. But yeah, it's absolutely terrifying. <laughs> um, I think I had a slightly different experience in the fact that I could actually understand the strict teaching more than the kind of like super friendly nature of like you and like various other like not that you're not friendly called it like I think because my training had been quite like rigorous and very like that it meant that like that was a natural way for me to respond but when people weren't automatically having that kind of Author like authoritative tone, maybe I found it like more like okay, where do I stand in this? Maybe. Yeah, but um, yeah, as it goes on, it just shifts completely. Mm -hmm. Like through every year, it shifts, and then when you graduate, it obviously shifts more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of in inevitable in a, in a way when you first arrive because the, the, the general structure of dance classes, technique classes in particular, are quite didactic. You know, you're you're, 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 we're presenting you with this material and you're doing what we're asking of you. There's not so much of a, it's not like a dialogical exchange. But then, you know, in the, in the module technique and improvisation, for example, I feel as I've got two, two hats on. One minute we're doing the techniques, the next we've got the other hat on, and then we're going crazy in the studio, you know, in, in, within the same module, which I think is great. And part of the, part, one of the, one of the part of the uniqueness of, of, of being a Falmouth as well is that, you know, these kind of modules exist. Um, I, always, I mean, it, it, it's, it's so funny because it's the same kind of thing every year. And I think, but, and I have to be, I try, I think I've been more, become more and more transparent about it. I mean, I would literally say to the first year, as I said this year, you know, don't hand all your power over. You know, do not, you know, I'm standing there, I'm very aware that I'm, an, I'm a male in predominantly in front of, you know, kind of 80% more, 90% young female. So, um... Fast forward to my kitchen table post technical hitch. How did we get here? Yeah. <laughs> I thought my, we were in the pub. I know, we were a minute ago. It's a bit less noisy here though, anyway. Mm. Um, so by way of like a five minute provocation, rather than thinking that that went wrong, um, I was really pleased that Calder got to make his point about being a man standing in front of a 80% makeup of mm -hmm. women in a class and making this point about not telling them, literally sort of saying to them, don't give me all your power, like don't give all your power away um, because he didn't want to kind of perpetuate that kind of relationship. Mm. And I guess I was interested in what you thought about that, like as a female student mm. and in that position, what was your experience like? So, like I said, I did find called it incredibly scary and he was the sort of male lecturer that we saw most of I think and then otherwise it was female lecturers and I had really really great relationships with everyone of course um but it felt a little bit easier with the women and maybe it is because there is that power dynamic that seems fairly unavoidable even though like called said he he says it outright um don't give up your power, use this course for you. He, his, his phrase is positively selfish, you know, be positively selfish, do what you need to do. Um, and yet, it, I still was so scared of him. But then again, yeah, maybe it's just because you're first year and you've, you're out, you're living on your own for the first time and you're in this whole new space and, and the course 
is very disciplined and you know you're in a lot it's very intense yeah so it's a bit of that as well yeah and and it, that it's good that you use that word disciplined um because I think that's that's come up that came up in our previous conversation as well and this thing around kind of it's part of the culture of being a dancer right is that you are mm. disciplined you're there there's also something around the the discipline of your body the kind of striving and pushing yourself to achieve something and I think part of that kind of um atmosphere that maybe like you say some of it might be just tied up with being a first year and this is certainly not about Calder's teaching style he's a brilliantly inclusive facilitator and and teacher Mm -hmm. um but I think he does understand something about that relationship um between dance and discipline and the the actual kind of feeling that people really want to be pushing themselves they want to be striving to achieve something whether that's technically or whether that's uh, a kind of certain nuance or qualitative uh sensory thing and improvisation Mm -hmm. there is a sense of striving a sense of um wanting to improve and and that is achieved through discipline and through technique um Mm -hmm. whatever we might mean by that and I think so I think part of that that thing that the first year's experience in something that's maybe a bit scary (laughs) even Mm -hmm. though you know he's not but um is maybe that it's an understanding of needing to create this kind of sense that you can push yourself yeah um but there's obviously also some quite toxic things that can come from that you know more broadly speaking um in dance culture where there's this sort of constant surveillance of your body whether Mm. that's internally or Mm. the eye of the teacher that kind of corrective eye um yeah and needing it's perfection you're mm. it's constant striving for perfection that does not exist um and and within that then you create a culture within your peers that is so competitive and comparative and yeah like you say surveillance like I've really found it hard if I had some time off the court you know I needed a few days away or whatever because I did a lot I needed space from from that environment um because it was difficult um and you'd come back after a few days and everyone would be on your case like where have you been have you been unwell like um, I'm unwell but I've come in you know mm-hmm. and and that is that is toxic and that is really difficult but I think the moment that I realized that I didn't need any of that I didn't need any of that to get to me I needed to take my time take that rest because that's so important to recover and rejuvenate so that you can keep working and keep going but as soon as I sort of went actually do you know what that's all silliness toxicity that I don't need Uh, I trust myself I know what I need and I'm gonna I'm gonna do that because that's how I can make the most out of this course that I'm paying thousands of pounds for (laughs) yeah no kidding yeah and I think yeah I think that's a really really important point like politically for the culture of dancers is to be able to take that rest um uh without this feeling like the understudy is just going to like leap out uh mm. probably a younger fitter version the shadows <laughs> yeah, jump into your role or you know that you're if you're not in training you're falling behind because mm. everyone else is um and though that does create this kind of like you say this feeling of um you've got to keep going the show must go on doesn't matter how ill you are I mean in a certain sense Covid has kind of also um knock that on the head because it's like if you're not well you do not come in and you do not come to work but let's face it in dance you know that is really really prevalent you know it's Mm. it's 
not taking care because there's this almost this kind of sense of the more you endure the more you like prove yourself um which is definitely something that I know a lot of um contemporary dancers are trying to work against really um you know uh, I can think of two guests on the podcast this year I can think of Gilly Kleiman really talking about you know what you can still be a dancer even if you take some time out from dance mm-hmm. as a career I'm Grace Nichol talking about creating alternative kind of structures of care mm-hmm. and and pastoral kind of support for people in choreographic processes and you know more collaboration really rather than this competitive um uh culture yeah but I think something very particular happens in technique classes, doesn't it? Because you're sort of often working towards something that seems um, fixed in some way mm. that that you're falling short of something if you don't achieve mm. achieve it. Especially when you're, you know, I know people. This is a degree course that that you work on and that I was on. Um, I don't actually know how it works in a conservatoire space. But, you know, you're graded. You're mm. literally given a number. Yeah. Uh, and in technique, that number is like, this is how good of a dancer you are. And I don't, you know, I, it took me a while to just go, fine, I'll, cool, yeah, I'll take that and I'll, I can work on it. But that doesn't, that's not a number on my worth. That's not a number on how talented I am. And I think, I think I'm a much better performer than I am a technical dancer. Yeah. And if I could get graded oh I should have done performance really. <laughs> I took choreography instead but there we go um but so often I'd be like oh if I'd got a grade for that performance I just did I'm sure it'd be great but mm-hmm. then also maybe it wouldn't and maybe I'd feel worse about myself and actually just the the fact that I enjoyed it and I had people telling me that you know they really enjoyed watching me then actually that's all that that's actually why I do it mm. because I love I love performing. I love being on stage. I love the attention. I love, <laughs> I love making people feel good. And, yeah, um, yeah. And that is why I do it—not to get a number telling me, yeah, how good I am. At- Current students, that is very, very good um, advice, right there. <laughs> wherever you're studying, I think, um, and I think it, that opens up like a bigger question, right, about how about grading arts and humanities and the kind of systems that we work in, and mm. kind of in a way realizing that we're all on the same side a little bit with that mm-hmm. even though I know it doesn't feel like it but um I feel like there's a recognition that it's imperfect uh, from the side of from the point of view of the lecturers as well yeah. because you are often assessing something that is qualitative and um uh you know subjective to a certain degree um we've worked really hard to have structures in place to make sure that things are fair. And I know Mm. that across the board, you know, um, people who have fought in a way for dance to have a place at the table in academia, we don't take that lightly. Like that is a serious business. It's not to undermine the marking processes in any way, but you have to recognize that there are sort of, that it's also like a a fallible um, system because you're kind of working with something that isn't, pin downable and that's where technique comes in I guess is that that there is something a bit more pin downable about technique than some of the more elusive qualities Mm. of of performance Mm. and stuff like this but I think the thing of if we're thinking about the student teacher relationship Mm. I think you know what's great when you've got a smaller cohort and also I think what we touched on in our in our lost conversation is this relationship of the body Mm. to the subject that you're studying and how that brings you into a certain kind of relationship that you might not have in other sorts of 
art forms potentially um the intensity of that of the experiences that you're having at an embodied level Mm. and Mm. you know obviously um covid coming and pulling the rug out from a lot of our kind of physical interactions has has brought very particular challenges to dance Mm. but i think certainly on the course that we've both been part of there's been a sense of trying to go right this is now we're all trying to make this work Mm. together yeah um and it's like a collaborative research endeavor almost to kind of go how can we make this work how can we make this the best possible experience under these really awful (laughs) circumstances and I, i can't speak for any other course um but i i imagine i do think that the the relationship that dancers have with their dancing lecturers is something totally unique every every other I've got friends you know on so many courses at at Falmouth um and you know wherever studying across the country and they're just so blown away by our relationship with you guys the fact that we're sat here now the fact that we are lost recording you know I said it then um that I was so moved by how you guys were completely heartbroken when COVID hit and we can finish our course the way that, you know, we really, we wanted to, and we were always supposed to, you work towards this big final performance and that to be taken away was like crushing. And you guys were equally crushed and it was not nice to see you guys sad, obviously, but it meant so much. And you, it really put into perspective how much this is, for you as much as it is for us um and I'm very grateful for that experience and I wouldn't have done those three years of incredibly hard work and you know physical drainingness if it weren't for that support so yeah yeah very lucky yeah very lucky you got to see me sort of sobbing and yeah sniveling <laughs> wonderful as I bid you all farewell <laughs> on the last day we go with but yeah I think the it has it's brought into into real focus the kind of value mm. that everybody gets from the mutual exchange that happens um on a course like ours and I think again something that called it raised in the lost conversation was um this thing of the reciprocal relationship which is acknowledged again pedagogically that that actually it's a two-way street that we learn loads from you guys as much as as much as you learn from us Mm -hmm. and that that once that becomes something that you recognize as students as well I think then that starts to shift the conversations that we can have with you Mm. and so that doesn't usually happen straight away Mm. um, because you're standing there quaking (laughs) with fear (laughs) no I'm kidding pedagogically yeah we were just throwing that one in there because Robin (laughs) hadn't heard it before (laughs) pedagogy like um uh theories of teaching and learning and I think uh comes from taking by the hand being led by the hand so taking Um, by the hand that's like the root of the word mm -hmm. etymologically speaking there you go guys pedagogy (laughs) pedagogy etymologically (laughs) so um that is um quite a nice segue into uh, a little geek out moment before we finish, which is from a book called Pedagogy and the Politics of the Body. Well, there you go. Yeah. And it's by um, Sherry Shapiro and it was published in 1998. So 
you know, we're here a good while longer. Honestly, so much of the scholarship I read, there was a big explosion of like cultural studies and scholarship in the 90s. And I always end up referring back and I know that there are more recent cool stuff to, to engage with as well. But um, stuck in the 90s, like my music taste. <laughs> so um, um, I wanted to um, just read this partly because it relates back to what Caldip said in that initial um, provocation. She writes, being that dance classes are predominantly attended by female students and dance is about the body, how can we not critically question our own traditions, which continue to oppress women? Replicated in the pedagogy of dance is what Paolo Freire refers to as the banking concept of education. Dance classes are taught in a form that places the student in the position of doing what they are told to accept a passive relationship to the teacher and the curriculum and to separate dance knowledge and creative skills from other areas of their lives. In other words, when students come into dance class, what they hear, talk and learn about is dance in purely technical terms. We may teach modern ballet, creative dance and other forms of dance, but it is all bound in a language of technique, whether to ballet form or creative skills. Despite the oppressive nature of dance, hundreds of little girls grow into womanhood and continue to find liberatory feelings in dancing. And if asked why they dance, the common response is, because it makes me feel good. This creates a peculiar paradox, feelings of liberation within an oppressive, oppressive context. So I just thought that was really, really mm. interesting. And like I said, I hope that there are lots of, I mean, I know that there are lots of little revolutions going on in terms of the way that dance is taught and understood. And we spoke about resting and we spoke about collaboration as, as two of those things. But I think there are still structures, even in the way that we enter a, a dance studio and, and stand and, you know, uh, that, that sort of haunt the form, particularly in a technique class. And I just thought that was a really interesting, yeah, paradox, as she says, really. Um, mm. Do you recognise that? Yeah, definitely. I, I love that. That last line so good, isn't it? There's a film, my old teacher, I, I didn't train properly for eight there Properly. we go there yeah. you go yeah. um, but I, I went to creative classes and she would put music on and we would like run around basically and just move and that was amazing and she made a film of all of us and I'm I don't know how old I am I'm tiny and I'm like the first one she talks to and like, she's like so Robin why do you dance and I'm like I let her look like wistfully up in front of me and I'm like because that's how I feel <laughs> Like I just feel through dance. Yeah. But it's true and it's and it is funny then to train and um yeah, it, it becoming such a such a, a formed thing. And then you let it go and it can just be mm. feeling <laughs> feeling again. So do no. you know what I mean? Yeah, that's no totally. There's a process that happens where yeah maybe initially it's it the the seed of it comes from this feeling good right mm. this thing that it's something that makes us feel good and then we get into something where it becomes a form and mm. then with that form come some of these structures that are you know oppressive as, as Shapiro writes um or just um yeah I guess so like trying to fit into something but also sometimes it's giving us more tools more vocabulary mm. more range with which to then um use to go back to those feelings of, of feeling good totally. um 
yeah so I think that that can be like an arc I guess mm. as part of that learning process um and we've said it on a previous episode read the book and learn <laughs> and then throw the book, throw the away. book away yeah and then look yeah. what you've got and I think yeah the dancing to express your feelings is one way of using dance like I always try and say this to students like that's one way of using but there's all these other things that it can be for as well Mm. so um uh, it's kind of remembering that um so I'm just going to finish with another little line then from that to take Mm -hmm. us out because I think it's maybe more more hopeful Mm -hmm. um But so she says, the modern dancer represents to us the struggles of many women today. She embodies clearly much that feminist and postmodern observers have noted in our culture about the body as image, as object, as escape and as possibility. So ending on a note of possibility uh, to take us into 2021. Thank you so much, Robin, for joining me and um, bringing the lost conversation back to life (laughs) (laughs) thanks for having me and um you're going to sing us out with your amazing um covid christmas number can i please stay because baby there's covid outside not trying to get late just want to stay safe inside this evening has been a great way to ease the boredom of 20 20 think I left my mask at home My sanitizer's nearly gone So can I just curl up here? Please remind me what's the fucking tip Boris doesn't have an idea Really wanna stay Maybe there's COVID outside Don't send me away Don't want Corona tonight I wish I knew Christmas Getting drunk and eating food That's delicious Remember this will come To an end So for now